everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where I help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today, I have an awesome guest. He's a pro athlete, sports and executive coach, leadership facilitator, coach developer, and the head of performance coach development at Tennis Australia. He's a well-credentialed leadership and organizational development consultant with a high-performance sport background as a professional athlete, coach, and administrator. And his broad experience in designing and leading strategic transformational change initiatives at the senior executive level across multiple sectors. And his diverse background with expertise includes facilitation, leadership, culture change, high-performing teams, organizational resilience, and well-being. And Andre Agassi said Scott is a walking testament to what the human spirit is capable of. Welcome, Scott Draper, and thank you for being on my show. Thanks for having me, Athan. Great to be here, mate. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome show for everyone watching this today. And uh, I'd, I'd love to get a quote from Andre Agassi, one of my childhood heroes uh, playing tennis growing up. So uh, <clears throat> that is very awesome as well, mate. So, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Yeah, sure, Athan. So look, as you mentioned, I was a professional athlete uh, in tennis first. So I spent 12 years on the ATP tour and then went into golf for about five. So I spent about 17 years as a professional athlete. You know, I think that culminated or that journey started coming from a family who loves sport. I'm the youngest of three. Uh, my older brother and sister both played. My brother went on to, you know, play at the Grand Slam level, got to about 150 in the world in tennis as well. Um, you know, so just having someone like him to look up to as an older brother was fantastic. And mum and dad played, my sister, as I said. So Tennis was something I just kind of fell into um, and was lucky that I loved it and was good at it. And what an experience to travel the world, you know, doing something you love, competing against the best people in the world. So, uh, you know, I pinch myself how lucky I am, you know, from that respect. Um, and then to have an opportunity to get into golf just because it was something that I think started after my first wife passed away uh, in 1999. I spent a lot of time playing golf as therapy and you know, that sort of started this idea because I got quite good at it, that maybe one day I could turn professional at golf and, you know, the hard work sort of paid off and that transition occurred. And then, you know, after 17 years of playing sport, my body had other ideas and, you know, went into Tennis Australia where I was lucky to start my work as a high performance coach and, you know, work with the likes of Ash Barty as a developmental athlete, right through to Leighton Hewitt as, as a professional athlete. Um, and then, went into sports administration. So I sort of went from coaching into leadership and, you know, really found that a fascinating time in my life. Probably one of the hardest transitions I, I think I've made from, you know, sort of getting the best out of myself and then trying to help others in from a coaching standpoint, but then trying to lead teams and a system became a whole new challenge. And, you know, learned a lot about myself. I, you know, did some nice things, but geez, you make a lot of mistakes as a young leader. And, you know, I think, through some leadership development opportunities, I fell in love with the idea of getting out of sport and maybe becoming facilitator because some of the programs that I was part of, you know, had some phenomenal facilitators and it just started this idea in my head that, geez, I think I'd like to do that kind of work. So, you know, at 40, I went back to university. I did an MBA in leadership and innovation and strategy and, and you know, found the next transition very, very difficult to take a sports CV into corporate, but was lucky to get a job at KPMG after about 20 months of looking for a job, doing some consulting and whatnot. 
And KPMG was just a great breeding ground, to be honest, um, for me to see so many different organisations, whether it's federal, state government through to corporates and, and private, um, just to be in front of you know senior leaders and facilitate and hear their stories, their journey, what they're grappling with. You know, I think that maybe five years of my life there was just such a steep learning curve and lucky to still have a very close relationship with KPMG. I've got my own business and, you know, I just love what I do, which is fundamentally trying to help people be the best they can be. And if it's through the leadership domain where they're leading teams, how do they get the best out of others? Um, so it's a, it's a really, it's a privileged position and I'm very thankful. And uh, as I said, grateful every day for the work that I do. Yeah. Awesome, mate. What a story and so many different elements there of, um, you know, how you've had to overcome challenges and, you know, shape yourself into to who you are today. I love that. And let's touch a little bit more on the sporting career, right? Like um, you, you've done very well, you know, pro tennis player and pro golfer, which not many people can say they're, they're pro at two sports, uh, let alone one um, there. So, you know, I've won many championships, but I haven't gone to the, the full pro yeah. level. So definitely take my, my hat off to you there. Um, Talk to us about that because I think there's a lot of transferable skills that that get learnt in in sport, you know, for business and how that those have shaped you, you know, in, into who you are today and what you've learnt from that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a, probably an easy thing to you know summarize into maybe one thing or um, or a few things. It's it's in some respects a list of things, but um, you, you know, the, I think the one thing that I found very very influential in a positive way about playing tennis. I mean, tennis, for those that don't know much about tennis, I, you know, I think it's a very lonely uh, place to be, which is on a tennis court, you know, you're trying to problem solve yourself. You know, you're, you're dealing with all these different emotions. Your opponent is trying to put you into positions that you don't really want to be in and, in, and you're trying to do the same back to him. So there's kind of this constant arm wrestle and this fluctuation of emotions and whatnot that go with it is, you know, a highly challenging place. Uh, and particularly when it's your livelihood on the line, right? So, so for me, um, you know, what, some of the key things that, that I felt like were really useful, not just for tennis, but for life and for what I'm doing now is, you know, really trying to figure out one, how do you set yourself up for success? How do you, you know, I guess, maximize your current potential, but then always think about continuous improvement because, you know, if you're staying stagnant, you know, I think stagnant's going backwards or, or staying the same is going backwards because everything continues to get better. So this, this, this wrestle in your mind of, of um, you know, never being settled for where you are, but also, you know, maybe not putting too much pressure on yourself, but really enjoying the process and, and the journey that you're on and redefining what failure really is about because, you know, sport is littered with this notion of failure, even though I don't believe in that terminology the way we think of it. If you lose a match, that's not failure. Um, you know, failure for me or my personal view of failure is more when you're not necessarily giving your best efforts you're not putting yourself out there, which is that idea of vulnerability, because ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're signing up, you know, to, to compete. And as part of competition, there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser. And that in itself is a vulnerable thing to sign up for. And so if you don't redefine or reframe what competition and failure and success is all about, then I think you're in for a pretty tough road. So, so for me, you know, sport taught me a lot of things. Um, but really it's about 
how do you wake up every day and work towards, you know, something that you're motivated to achieve or to, to be good at or what this vision for your future is and how you can every day take those baby steps towards that. It's a highly motivating thing to do. And I think that that aligns to a lot of things we talk about in business um, and trying to get your best out of yourself and or your people or your team. Yeah, I love that. So true. So many awesome mindset things um, that you just shared there. And I, I play a lot of tennis and soccer. And yeah, tennis is definitely the, the mental game of yourself. Soccer is a little bit more fun where you're in a team element um, as well. But um, but yeah, tennis, um, yeah, I love that. So so powerful, um, you know, what you just shared with us there because it's so, you know, relevant for our life, um, you know, in whatever we do um, today and, and, and keep growing ourselves. And so let's talk a little bit about transitions here because you know there can be stages in our life where we seek you know professional transition we want to go into you know down a new path uh, you've done many of these you know like in what's happened that you just shared with us on your journey so tell us a bit more about this and what we should think about you know if we're going to make some big you know life-changing decisions yeah for me look whilst you know the professional transitions that i've experienced originally were in the sport domain i've found some of these principles or ideas very useful for any any transition for that matter um so you know if i if i go back to one of the first principles that i'd say is really useful when it when it comes to professional transitions and it stems from a question that my first mentor who was a sports psychologist or he's a psychologist that that really was influential or actually transformational um, in terms of what he did for me and one of the first questions he asked me was you know why do I play. This was when I'm playing tennis. Why do I play? Now, you know, Simon Sinek has kind of made this question famous, you know, start with why. And, you know, I, I'm sort of, you know, sometimes smirking at the idea that this is not a new concept, but it's a, it's a really powerful one. And so just start with that question of why do you do something? And if you're about to embark on any sort of transition, you know, is it something meaningful to you? Is it talking to this sense of you know, this idea of purpose? You know, why do you get out of bed? Um, you know, how does it how does it kind of serve you in a way that is highly motivating and you're contributing to the greater good, something bigger than yourself? And um, you know, I think that's the first thing that I learned about how do you make a, a successful professional transition. The second, I think, idea, and this comes from playing sports because sports are game. And I think that life and business is also a game. Now, I don't mean that that word game as you're playing silly buggers or you're, you know, you're trying to manipulate in a kind of surreptitious way, like you're playing a game. It's serious and it's, it matters, but it is still a bit of a game that we have to have to play. And so the question I always tend to ask myself when I'm trying to move into a different domain or into a different role is what is the game? You know, what is the game that I have to play that's going to increase the probability of success? Now, that's going to require you, you know, there's famous kind of leadership theories like get on the, you know, get on the balcony, get off the dance floor. And in some respects, getting on the balcony is that idea of looking at the system, looking at what is going on. You're removing yourself from being in it to try and understand what is this system that I'm part of? What is the game that I have to play that is going to help me and others be successful and aligned to where we need to go in the future. So that was kind of a critical thing that, you know, I, I feel helped me make many transitions successfully. And, and then I think another key 
principle is really, and I think this really helped me from my sport, is you're going to have to really sign up and have a go, right? Now, you got to test the waters. And if you're playing it too safe, you're probably not going to really understand what's working or what's not working. You know, I, I just had an experience in the States uh, where I did a study tour and I, you know, went around many successful organizations from Silicon Valley organizations to sporting teams, professional ones. And I went to Google X and there's a, there's a guy there, Mahesh and Chris, Chris Wanathi, I can't exactly pronounce his name, but he leads Project Tara at Google X. And I met with him and, you know, the interesting thing about that experience was they're trying to solve some of the biggest problems in the world. And in his case was trying to connect 3 billion people on the planet. And so, you know, I, one thing that I was fascinated about with, with him is that they really embrace failing fast. They give 100% attention to the biggest problem they're trying to solve. It's 100% focus and dedication towards solving it. And if they don't have momentum around it, fail fast, go to the next idea. And where I'm, where I'm going with this is when you're making professional transitions, if you aren't willing to really be vulnerable and give it a red hot go, then I think you're going to not experience that fail fast, which is absolutely necessary to find momentum and the right path in whatever you're doing. So that's another key lesson that I've kind of taken from, you know, professional transitions. Yeah, I love that. The, the fail fast analogy is, is a great one there uh, to get all into it because um, either you, you, you know, you, you succeed or you learn, right? And then you can work out is that the right way or do you need to change a little bit? So love that's really performance. And I, I know a big thing about what you do is is sustainable performance uh, in, in, a, in a way is like to redefine high performance, right? Because some people can get burnt out a lot. It's, you see this happening a lot, especially, you know, post-COVID now with these hybrid working things, um, but even just generally about how we're operating. So tell us more about, yeah, sustainable yeah. performance. Yeah, I've got really fascinated with, you know, sustainable performance because, you know, high performance is, it's... I wouldn't say easy to achieve, but it's far easier to achieve high performance than to sustain it over a longer period of time. And there's lots of reasons for that. And I suppose I've just got fascinated being around high performance as long as I have. And to see high performance get thrown around so much these days is like a common word. And, you know, I think it's important that we understand, one, what high performance is actually all about. And then maybe take stock and think about is what, what I'm doing or what we're doing sustainable. And so if I was to use, you know, some basic kind of sporting analogies, whether, you know, I've been lucky enough to play Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal and, you know, I've, I've played in a sport where Tiger Woods plays, but I never got the opportunity to play with Tiger Woods. But, um, you know, I've certainly competed against the best in the world in a couple of sports. And there's certainly behaviors that high performance people possess and i've noticed this across sport and business you know i think things like really clear on this idea of mission or a goal like trying to be really good at something you know i want to win a grand slam or you know we want to increase our market share or we want to whatever whatever the mission the goal kind of is these are really um synonymous things or or things that are, that are shared um then I think there's this kind of really clear understanding about what strengths, what things we or I bring to the table that's going to make us competitive or successful. 
And there's a genuine focus about honing those strengths, practicing those strength, strengths, putting them under pressure, you know, testing them, um, getting all sorts of people around you to make sure that they're giving you appropriate feedback and how you're continuously improving. Um, and there's incredible discipline and focus about what really matters. You know, there's just a few key behaviors and things that you see all these successful people, you know, do. Where I'm kind of going with this is, even though you have performers like that or high performers that have these wonderful attributes, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to sustain performance. Now, in the sporting domain, you know, we've seen Tiger Woods and Novak Djokovic, for example, um, in two different sports, struggle when their personal life is in disarray. Okay, even though they're incredibly mentally tough and strong, when things outside of their profession or their vocation is not aligned to, you know, that idea of holistic performance, then they're going to struggle. And I think the same thing applies with a lot of um, successful leaders, successful teams, sometimes that you're that blinkered and that focused on being good at one thing that sometimes you're not paying attention to things that can T-bone you. Now, in terms of my uh, journey, I've certainly experienced, I've mentioned the loss of a spouse, which is, is something where life T-bones you and it's very unexpected. And uh, in my case, it was somewhat expected because she had cystic fibrosis, but certainly not at the age that she passed. And I've also had some other challenges like obsessive compulsive disorder, et cetera. So that I know I've experienced things in life where, you know, you've got to be paying attention to not just things like your, your capability uh, or in sport, the weapons you possess, but it's actually uh, your family relationships intact, you know, uh, you know, things like being hard on yourself, practicing self-care, which I've been really poor at, you know, in my life. These are the kind of things outside of being a high performer that can derail you. And they're the things that will not help you sustain it. So I guess that's the background, but what sort of transpired in the last, you know, few years for me is I've got fascinated as to some similar themes that I've experienced in rooms with leaders. And those themes are four things that have been consistent um, for me. One is reactivity. So most people, and this is not going to be like, you know, shocking for people to, to realize, but they'll go, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. So reactivity is one, you know, where people are feeling like they're just getting up and it's getting a lot of work done, but it's reactive to the day because all these tasks come into your inbox. It's the emails, it's the to-do list, it's all those things, which drives the second thing, which is inefficiency. So people are feeling like they're doing a lot but they're not necessarily getting a lot of momentum or traction. So they're spinning their wheels. They're, they're the, the rat on the hamster wheel kind of thing. The third is disconnection, which is either disconnected from yourself. You know, you're not doing all the things that matter to you and or you're disconnected from people that you care about because you're so busy at what you do. The fourth is probably the most common, which is fatigue. Nearly everyone I'm dealing with is tired or stressed or overwhelmed you know, just not feeling like they're coping as well as they possibly could. So these four things, reactivity, inefficiency, disconnection, and fatigue, I've kind of got fascinated about, well, what are some of the things that we could be doing a better job of that would support us to be more proactive, more efficient, more connected, you know, and energetic or energized, you know, which is all the antithesis of those words that I've basically just gone through. And so through my own experiences, but also through a lot of research, I believe there's three pillars that, that really can play a great role in us achieving sustainable performance. One is self-compassion. 
And again, I mentioned that that's something that I haven't done a great job of in my life. And self-compassion really is about things like if I'm struggling, I'm going to take notice. I'm going to pay attention to the fact that I'm struggling. I'm, I'm going through a period of adversity or increased stress or life's done something to me. And it's about taking notice and actually doing something about it proactively. Like I'm going to take care of myself right now. I need more support. I need to do things for me that's going to help me cushion the blow, you know, work through this. It could even involve things like your inner coach because we know our inner critic is incredibly strong. But practicing self-compassion is incredibly important to deal with, with life adversity, stress, whatever it may be, and change. So that's the first pillar. The second thing is, is purpose. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people go to work and they're doing it often because they're serving others, which is a great purpose. I'm not saying it's not a great purpose, but it's kind of like Groundhog Day and they're not totally clear about the future state and why that could be meaningful and what are the kind of beliefs and values that drive me. It's this idea of having your own individual culture, you know, and really being clear about who you are, the path you're on and how that's serving you to be the best you can be to help others be the best they can be. So purpose plays a really incredibly powerful role for me. And the third is energy. You know, so are you looking after yourself just from the basics around exercise, nutrition, sleep, which brings you all that kind of physical and mental and emotional energy that you need? Um, you know, maybe you're practicing mindfulness, doing some gratitude, um, all the practices that we know are going to help us be more energized at an emotional and or a physical level. And then, I guess the question is, how do we use that energy to be effective? And it's hard to use that energy to be effective unless we're really clear on what matters. And so these three pillars of self-compassion, purpose, and energy, um, I guess, is something that I've become very fascinated with and, and run many programs uh, with senior people and teams around how they can, I guess, lead self before leading others so that you're maximizing whatever potential you have to be the best you can be and hopefully sustain that over the longer journey because high performance behaviors alone don't mean that you're necessarily going to be sustainable. Yeah. Awesome, mate. That's such a powerful section there. And I especially love the section around energy and, and self-care side, because I know that's been a big thing for me. And I think it's a big theme um, as well for a lot of people this year. And, you know, one thing that I do as well is cold showers every morning. And, and I find that that just resets, you know, the autotonic nervous system and, and everything else. And it's um, really powerful. It's just another, it's just having all these little tools, right? In your tool belt, yeah. um, you know, to, yeah. you know, I go for a walk down to the park and, you know, um, just get out so that I can clear my head, you know, in the afternoon or whatever it is for you. So I love all of these things, like the gratitude you mentioned and, and all of that um, in our routines so that we can yeah, be our best um, where we need to be to, to help others. Yeah. And, and it's finding what works for you, right? I mean, you've just articulated a few things that work for you and, you know, even a shout out to Chris Hemsworth and Limitless, you know, I don't know if people have seen that, but yeah, he was, he was big on the cold showers and, uh, and whatnot. And, and maybe uh, those that find Chris Hemsworth attractive might need a cold shower after checking him out too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Great show. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris is doing some, some awesome stuff um, yeah. down there and um, yeah, little ways that we can, we can help ourselves um, in there. One thing you mentioned there, which is um, really powerful was about leadership, right. And about, you know, leading ourselves so we can lead others better. And that and it's obviously extremely important for large organizations, right? Like, you know, we need, um, to have great leaders to, to, you know, move that forward. So when you looking at, you know, organizations, um, tell us a little bit more about leadership, but what do you look at to see like 
how is the leadership going, you know, in, in that state and, and how we can sort of be better leaders, yeah. Yeah, so look, leadership, you know, what a, what a, you know, a, I guess a simple but yet complex verb, you know, uh, it's a doing word, you know, it's a, and to be an effective leader is not that simple. You know, as I said, I, when I first went into leadership, I, I think I did a lot of good things, but I look back and I have some cringe moments, you know, about what I did. And it's not ill-intended, of course. It's just, it, you know, inexperience. It's not being aware of, I guess, your impact on others, which, which I think ultimately is the litmus test for a leader. You know, I sometimes think about a, a wonderful question that I, I discovered or learned through a friend of mine who went through a Harvard Business School uh, leadership program, and they bookended the program with a question. And the question was, you know, how do other people experience themselves when they're in your presence, right? So we talk a lot about, you know, emotional intelligence, and there's other tangents of, of that. I mean, Harvard's even done some stuff around the decency quotient and a range of things because ultimately you want to be kind right you want to be caring kind trustworthy people want to feel like they're safe you know and they're also motivated toward to go you know to go towards this kind of future state that this leader has hopefully inspired but has got a lot of buy-in from the team around that direction so that we're all swimming in the same you know current so to speak but what what i think you know is really tricky for for leadership and leaders is really being adaptable. And this talks to the sustainable performance elements, right? Because if you get even for a moment, a little bit too blinkered and focused on a direction without taking yourself out of that direction and kind of checking on how are we going? How am I going? How is this team going? Are we still um, doing everything we can to make subtle or needed changes because the context or something has shifted a need for us to be different. Managing change or managing ambiguity and leading people through that is an exceptionally difficult thing to do because I think as human beings, you know, we want certainty. It's not like, it's not a, a natural thing for us to kind of go, whoopee, we're going to be changing every day. We don't know where the, where the future lies. I mean, that's just not a natural thing for human beings to kind of be comfortable with, but you can certainly get very comfortable through practice to actually deal with that more effectively. And leaders have a responsibility, I think, to, to get people used to feeling that discomfort. And because we want certainty, what we can do as leaders is in some respects, apply these, these, technical solutions to an adaptive problem which is certainly something that ronald heifetz who's a leadership guru has spoken a lot about and and written a lot about and you know again leaders have a responsibility to i guess empower inspire and develop skills in their people to be able to navigate those periods that we we just don't have an answer for so that's something i'm really looking for more and more when I'm, when I'm seeing or dealing with leaders. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Love that. So powerful and how powerful that is. And 
And obviously leadership, you know, indirectly and directly um, really influences the culture, right, of, of the business because, um, and that's really important um, because if you've got some issues at whatever level of leadership or, you know, what's happening or maybe it's just the way things have always been done, you know, that sort of saying, then, um, you know, it can be really, um, yeah, powerful to to understand that and how we can improve that, right? Because we want, we want to make sure people enjoy what they're doing like their workplace right because it's it's not just the leader specifically but it's everything about how everybody does things right um for their for their performance you know in what we're doing and um so everyone's moving on that so just you know talking a little bit about culture and your thoughts and maybe if, mm. if people are thinking our culture isn't the best what's some ways that we could potentially improve you know the culture as well yeah look culture again you know they're I'm certainly fascinated and I think we all have experienced times where we've been in a good culture or a great culture and, and a not so good culture. It's, it's palpable, right? I mean, it's now I'm going to, I'm going to leverage off a little bit of Michael Henderson here. And I, you know, just recently seen some of his work and, and he's a corporate anthropologist. And, and uh, I think for those that are interested more, he's one guy that I'd certainly have a look at um, around culture with just some of the thinking, but, you know, culture, one thing he says is that culture isn't measurable, right? And I think that's a, a really interesting thing to think about because we often do a lot of pulse surveys and, you know, whatnot, but it's it's people's opinion about how things are going. But I, I think culture is something where you can't really measure it because there's so many different facets of culture within a business, particularly if it's a larger, larger organization. Like there isn't just one culture, right? I mean, there's all sorts of pockets of different cultures within teams, but you want to make sure ultimately that you're optimizing, and I'm definitely borrowing Michael Henderson's thinking here, that you're optimizing the culture to align to the strategic intent. Right. So sometimes we think about culture and, and the values and the behaviors that we're bringing to the table. We might think they're terrific and we're aligned to those values or those behaviors. But is that helping us really be effective in our context? So how do you kind of leverage off culture to deliver performance is kind of the ultimate question. Right. You know, I think about this at an individual level. And so when when I think about culture, I get fascinated in, well, what's my individual culture? Right now, if you think about, well, what's your purpose? What's your vision for the future? What's your mission? What are your key values and behaviors? What are the things that give you the courage of your convictions? You know, you, if you can't answer that yourself, then, well, it's pretty hard to align yourself to an organization because, well, if I don't know the connection between what matters to me and what matters to this organization, my place in that, well, that's going to be a pretty tough road for people as well. So doing the individual culture work, I think, is really important as much as it is, okay, collectively, who do we want to be in the context of where we want to go? And it's working on it every single day. It's not something you can do in a workshop and go, oh, we've done our, you know, our purpose and our values and our behaviors, put them on a wall and that's it. We see it in six months or 12 months time and check in. It's a living and breathing thing every single day that you have to pay attention to. 
Yeah. Awesome, mate. So, so powerful there and, and so true. And I love the, the individual culture first to really align, and then you can align yourself to that and really build that um, with, you know, the organizations that you're, you want to be working for or, or leading, depending on, you know, if you're the business owner as well to, to making sure that's happening um, in your business. And, you know, one other big topic is resilience and well-being, right? In the, the big topics these days in business and, a lot of people are telling me with the new generation, the younger people, that they're not seeing this as much. Like I remember when I was growing up and probably with you, we sort of had a bit more of that ethic, right? Where we would be like, okay, I want to work a bit longer hours. I want to prove myself to, to management so that I get these things, right? Whereas there's a little bit more, you know, wanting things now, right? That they don't want the, they want, you know, that element of these people when they're not willing to really necessarily, because of the market, it's just easy to get stuff. It's, it's you know, it's a talent market right now. So they don't have to work hard necessarily to get something. So they're just wanting everything. They want pay rises in a year. They want, you know, everything now without actually having to build the resilience and go, I need to go through some tough times because when it happens, you know, they're not as well equipped, right? To be able to deal with those adversities, with the, you know the resilience they need, but also having the well-being as well to to build that at the same time. So, I'd love to hear your thoughts around this about what you're seeing and maybe some ways of how we could you know build our resilience and, and focus more on our well-being. Yeah, this is such an important topic, Catherine. And you know, I guess I'd start with just let's define resilience because it is different to mental toughness, and I think most of us know that, but Sometimes people are surprised when you talk about this. So mental toughness, just to be clear, is what you do or the strategies you adopt in, in the face of adversity and resilience are the behaviors and things you do to bounce back from adversity. Now, it's important to note the difference between the two. So um, so um I think that delineation, first and foremost, to get that through your mind is really important. So what I'd say is today, we're spending a lot of time being mentally tough. We push through the days, but we're not doing enough to actually bounce back from what we've experienced, which is where the recovery thing comes in or strategic recovery, these types of ideas. This is what's going to help you bounce back as behaviors, okay? Now, in terms of some of your thoughts about, you know, perhaps the younger generation and whatnot, yes, instant gratification is, is definitely a thing. And I even think about chat GBT, right? So learning is increasingly becoming less messy in some respects. So what I mean by that is the answer is often at the, at the click of a button, whether it's Google, chat GBT, whatever. So we're not necessarily, necessarily experiencing kind of this messy learning, discomfort. I can't figure this out. And the experiences emotionally that you get with that, right? And so what I think this is doing is it's decreasing our ability when poo it's the fan, where we're out of our comfort zone, whatever it is to actually cope because we haven't learned the strategies along the way that's going to help us either be mentally tough in the face of it and then once we've experienced something really difficult, bounce back from it. Now, the, the next part of this is resilience alone is not enough. Now, what I mean by that is you can be a resilient person, meaning I've had a really tough day or a tough period I'm doing all the right things from a behavioral perspective to help me bounce back. But in that period where I was struggling, I couldn't perform. Now, a higher level of resilience is, is, is this idea of robustness or even anti-fragility, which, you know, um, you know, Nicholas Taleb 
uh, the, who wrote The Black Swan, um, Nicholas Taleb Hassan, I think I've got that right, wrote The Black Swan, talks about anti-fragility. Now, where I'm going with this is that the ultimate goal for all of us is if we're struggling, we're still able to perform. Because if you think about even tennis, for, for example, if you are dealing with adversity and you can't perform through that adversity, well, you're going to lose every single time. Same thing in life. If you can't deal with adversity and still perform at the level you need to perform at, you're not robust. Now, that's a practice, but it's also about doing the things that will help you as a human being bounce back. So we are an anti-fragile system. If we go to the gym, we lift, we lift weights, we get stronger, but we have to recover because we can overtrain, right? So there's this kind of balance in my mind between doing the work, getting out of your comfort zone often enough, throwing yourself into chaos, putting yourself in the jungle and trying to survive. You know, that's really important, but you also need to do the work to bounce back from that. And if you're not doing that, you will burn the candle at both ends and you'll become increasingly less and less resilient. I think about one um, nice kind of analogy or thought in your mind. If you think about us as this idea of capacity, what's our capacity? I believe we have two responsibilities in the domain of capacity. One is if you think about ourselves as a vat of water, right? A cylinder of water that's kind of flexible. We want to increase the size of that capacity. So build a bigger engine. That's, that's the first responsibility. The second is to pay attention to the water line. So if the water line gets too close to the top and life T-bones you from the side, then the water's going to spill over. That's burnout. That's worse, right? So if we increase the size of that cylinder, right? We've got a bigger engine. The water rises slower so we can absorb life and stress more effectively as long as we're monitoring it. If we don't monitor it and actually keep that water line, water line down through sleep, exercise, nutrition, mindfulness, whatever it is to manage that adversity, then we're going to find ourselves, no matter what, spilling over at some point. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. So powerful. Um, I think there's different elements that you just mentioned and what we need to be thinking about um, to build that, you know, bounce back from that adversity, but also be able to deal and perform um, in those times. Really powerful. And, you know, one big thing for me has been coaching mentoring, you know, throughout my life and business, you know, from a sporting element, um, obviously that I've played sport, but also in business with my coaches and mentors and, you know, from a mindset as well as business perspective to help me learn and grow. I love to hear it from your perspective. So how important has coaching mentoring been for you and, and what it's helped you to achieve? I think it's absolutely critical. And I, you know, sometimes use the, the idea that Roger Federer has a coach, right? So what I'm saying there is, is that even the best in the world have people to try and get better, right? Now, who is it in your life that is helping you get better? Because I don't think we can always just do that alone. One of the biggest surprises for me was going from a sporting context into a business context where you have your annual or biannual performance discussions. Like, to be honest, that's a joke. If that's all that's happening, you're having one or two conversations a year about your performance and how you can get better. That is just nowhere near enough. In sport, you're doing it multiple times a day. You know, you're getting feedback, whether it's through coaches, through data, through other people, specialists, you know, your own reflections on how am I going? What am I doing well? What can I do better? And that's a constant evolving cycle. So having a coach is critical and or a mentor and that they're, they're very different. 
So just to make sure people know the difference between a coach and a mentor, a mentor is someone that is sitting on experience that they can share through their own experience, storytelling or other, or other means to help you in your current context. It's more of a telling conversation. The mentor is telling you about your experience or that, sorry, their experience to maybe see if it can resonate with you. A coach is not doing a lot of telling. They're asking a lot of questions, effective questions. They're listening. They're trying to kind of funnel things to get to the meat of what's really going on. And sometimes that objective question or a really clever question is something you haven't asked yourself. And that's where the self-reflection or this idea of like, oh, aha moments, I haven't thought of it that way. Okay, so what might that mean? You know, if you were to think about, you know, taking the first step towards making a shift in that area, what would that look like? What might be difficult about that? How will you navigate that? What support might you need? You know, coaches are going to do a great job of surfacing, uh, I guess, those important things that perhaps you haven't thought of or you've got a blind spot on. Um, so I'd highly recommend anyone who doesn't have a coach uh, to think about having a coach. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that. Completely agree and been very pivotal uh, for me as well. And, and I'm an NLP master practitioner as well, so I help people to reframe their mindsets. And when you know how to ask great questions, you can get some great breakthroughs, right? Um, you know, Absolutely. when you have those people around you. So really love that. So, so true. And uh, been very powerful today, mate, about what you've shared with us. So much gold. And I guess as we're wrapping up, what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Um. Yeah, piece of advice for me, for anyone, entrepreneurs or people who are just embarking or on the journey to hopefully this future state that is motivating you is, is just really embrace the process. Like, I, you know, I'm, I've always believed you can't control outcomes. You, you, just, you just can't. You can only focus on the process and increase the probability of that through this idea of high percentage plays. What's my high percentage play? What's something I can do today? that's just gonna move the needle or increase the chance of me achieving what I wanna achieve, define success and really focus on the things that matter towards that. Yeah, awesome, so true. Love that one, mate. And yeah, we connected through our network, so I learned about your awesome journey from being a pro tennis player and pro golfer to becoming a consultant and coach. And uh, you're an awesome guy, so knowledgeable. I'm sure you continue to help businesses improve their leadership performance, our resilience and organizational development. Very grateful that we connect and I look forward to working with you. So Scott, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Yeah, thanks, Athen. It's been great to chat and appreciate you having me on the on the show. Hope it's been useful for people listening. Uh, look, you can find me at my email address, scott at scottdraper.com.au. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm not a, you know, a huge social media person, so I haven't got a lot of presence out there. It's all been word of mouth, but um, LinkedIn or my email is a good place to start. Awesome. Um, definitely check out Scott there, guys. Connect with him and, and reach out because, uh, yeah, so knowledgeable and, and how he can help, um, yeah, persons as well as organizations. So love that. And and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. So visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. And if you want to grow and scale your business, you reach out to me on any platform to see if we're a good fit. I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results. Thank you.